Dr. Vandenberg, and welcome to The Missing Piece. Thank you, Will. What an introduction. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I tried. But anyway, all right. As, as we mentioned before, initially when I discovered you, because this amazing article that you wrote called Why We We're Watching Japan and South Korea at the World Cup. So I think I really want to ask the question, why should we watch the game for South Korea and Japan? I mean, we know that Argentina was the winner in the end. But meanwhile, every single team played a significant role in order to compete with each other or make them a game more exciting. But in your article and the title, so go back to the question, why should we watch South Korea and Japan at the World Cup? I would start with, well, the, the glory and beauty of sports is the unpredictability of sports. Mm. This is why, why we watch. It's, it's a performance, but it's not a scripted performance. Anything can happen. And... That is exactly why I'd say you watch Japan and South Korea specifically, is you don't want to only watch uh, big titans against big titans. You want to watch the underdog, as you mentioned, which generally that idea, I, I can define it a little bit in case anyone's not familiar with the term, but in a, in a head-to-head competition, it is the least likely winner, mm-hmm. either by, by probability, by, by skill level, by size, and that is really why you watch sports is you want to see especially in the world cup Mm. a small team or a less likely to win team beat a a better team Mm. you can also watch the world cup to watch two two big teams like argentina and france go head to head and and see who will win but ultimately i think that especially with a global competition a diverse competition that represents more than just the most well-known teams in the world you watch that because you want to see a country that is unexpected make it to a level uh, that no one could have predicted and you see that with japan and south korea but you also see that with the likes of morocco in this 2022 world cup in qatar Dr. Vandenberg, I know in in your article that you mentioned again going back to the two countries japan and south korea from this cultural perspective too often that when we look at such world famous sports we don't really pay attention to the countries as japan and south korea because we know that a lot of fans were expecting the bigger names uh uh, out of some of the i guess even bigger countries especially in europe and latin america but in your article if correct me if i'm wrong i i got the sense of the word underdog so in other words, we know that those players from the two countries might not be able to make it to the finals, but still it demonstrated the spirit of persistence and also the spirit of tenacity. So help us to understand, what does, how should we understand the word of underdog that for this sports or generally in both countries in Japan and South Korea? I would even limit it further to the sport of football or soccer because when you think of football prominence or dominance on a global scale, you Japan and South Korea aren't countries that are being mentioned mm. in that conversation. Asian countries, whether it be East Asian, Southeast Asian, even when you get closer to the Middle East, if you're talking about the Asian Football Confederation, which is this continental confederation that all of this region is a part of, this isn't the the typical conversation you have. We do talk about France, we talk about Argentina, we talk about Germany and Brazil, 
but we don't talk about Asian countries when it comes to football. And there's reasons for that. Even if you look at the concept of underdog and what sets up a certain country or team to be an underdog, one of the easiest way to do this is to look at the FIFA rankings. So Mm -hmm. even going into the 2002 Qatar World Cup, and this happens before every World Cup, it's, it's a ranking that's updated on a regular basis on FIFA's website. You'll see that Japan and South Korea weren't necessarily posed to go far into this tournament, and certainly not the round of 16. I believe that they were ranked 28th and, and 24th. Mm. So, and I can't remember which one exactly, respectively. I think Japan was 28th and South Korea was, was ranked 24th going into the World Cup. Mm. So you wouldn't expect by the rankings alone for these countries to advance to the round, the top 16 teams in the tournament. And then if you look further at the competition that they were up against, and that is really how an underdog is developed as well, is looking at, well, who are they going to play? And Japan was in this group of death where they had Germany and Spain. No one expected Mm. Japan to make it out of that, uh, especially against two previous World Cup winners. Mm. So... Underdog is one defined by this, these static symbols, like a ranking, which Japan and South Korea both didn't have going into the tournament. Um, they were ranked high enough to obviously qualify and be a part of the of the, the group stage. Mm. But to make it, make it further than that is what was unexpected. So that's the first piece. And then the second piece is that they're just not generally South Korea and Japan are not a, a part of the conversation when we talk about football yeah. dominance. It, they, they have amazing players, but on... Uh, a national team level, especially on the men's side, they haven't made it farther, further enough in the tournament to really make a name for themselves. I think that even coming out of the Asian Football Confederation, which has 47 members, which is a significant number of members, only South Korea had gotten to the fourth place tournament to the, the semifinals in the World Cup. That's the furthest any Asian country has ever made it in the World Cup historically. So even similar, I guess, to Morocco in 2002, Qatar, this idea that Asian countries don't make it that far. So for them to be against some of those heavyweights like Germany and Spain, former winners, then that's what sets up an underdog situation. Mm. But even further, when you talk about underdogs in the Asian context, it is there is an irony there because typically you wouldn't say that Japan and South Korea on a global level are underdogs. Mm. I would never claim that those highly developed countries and economies would be an underdog, but specifically in the sport of football and in other sports, they do become an underdog. And I think that that also sets up an interesting contrast that makes sports so interesting, especially watching them in a football match, because you, on the one hand, you expect them to be quite good because of the size of their economies, because of how developed they are as countries. But on the other hand, they haven't proven that. So this is an opportunity for them to prove themselves in a way that they haven't in the past. That's right. Now, I want to go back to the article. Again, you mentioned something quite interesting, and this is what you wrote, and I quote, Hordes of media outlets applauded the Japan Japanese fans who cling the stadium after their teams win against the Columbia, inspiring other teams' fans to do the same. Now, again, put in a very simple way, why was that significant? I mean, again, I, I guess out of kindness and out of politeness, perhaps the Japanese fans decided to clean the stadium after the sports. 
But why was that significant worth mentioning in your article? And what does that symbolize for the Japanese culture and also for the Japanese sportsmanship? Help us to understand. Well, first I would say that the reason I mentioned it in the article is because it was covered on such a scale by media.、Mm. It was, I don't know how many media outlets. Reported on the fact that Japanese fans cleaned up after the stadium,、mm. um, but multiple and in multiple languages, and then the fact that it had this reverberation of other fans from other countries picking this up. I would say that it does say something about about sportsmanship. However, I wouldn't say that it's it's specific to to sport in some ways. And there, there's some stereotypes that can come in here, and I'll comment on this as well. But Generally, I would say that this is sports reflect society.、Mm. So when a certain group of fans or when a super a certain team takes the field, there is especially on a, a global stage like the World Cup, there is that visibility and opportunity for representation. And this, I think, is the critical piece of why this was brought up: is that because Asian countries are not a part of the conversation around football, and especially if you think about football fans, football. Uh, in the extreme sense, football hooliganism. I would say that this is a completely opposite portrayal of a football fan than we are perhaps used to from some of the most popular or famous countries. So the fact that there are fans with Japanese flags, South Korean flags in the stadium already means that that small minority group is going to be representative of a broader population of, of multi millions of people.、Um, Which is also present when you talk about the players at at the tournament, and I mentioned that in the article. So this country level representation, it, it almost weighs a burden on on fans and players alike. Is that if fans pick up rubbish or trash in the stadiums, this is something that gets noticed and then gets seen as a stereotype or a pervasive characteristic of Japanese society. Whether or not that's true, it's just it, it gets perpetuated, and、um, I'm actually currently in Japan. I'm, I'm, it, it, that is true, but it still is a case of a minority group getting specific recognition for a specific group task that was that was performed because there is a small subset of people being represented at a specific time. I think it's also interesting that this does take center stage. Uh, when the Japanese national team, men's national team, is playing at the World Cup, this is the article that comes out. Yes, there were articles about the Japanese men's team's performance, but this received so much media attention, almost to a、um, a funny degree of well, their men's national team is performing, but the fans cleaning up trash are receiving just as much attention. And I think that that's also a lesson for for international media because. You wouldn't be talking that way about、um, some of the big teams' fans.、Mm. You just wouldn't even be commenting on the fans. Of course, they're there. Of course, that things are are happening with their fans. So the fact that there's a minority group and、uh, there's a certain discussion happening around that minority group, I think, is also something that is particular to fans that are not widely represented on a global level, like East Asian fans. How does that? How does the sports or the participation in the World Cup reflect the general、mm. economic situation? In、mm. both countries, does that make sense? Yes. So I would say that they're they're absolutely. If you look at FIFA's rankings, there is a, a correlation, if you will, between 
economic development and a certain level of sports progress. Mm. I think football is particularly interesting for this reason. One of my my favorite cases of football is to talk about the People's Republic of China, mainland China, Mm. and why they are not successful with their men's national team because you would expect such an economic powerhouse to be successful in football or in sports in general. So I would say that there is a, definitely a correlation between economic development and and sports development, sports progress. I think that if you were to talk about, from a theoretical level, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, there's a certain piece of self-actualization that can happen with sports. There's mm. ability for government prioritization of funding, a policy that comes into play. Specifically with Japan and South Korea, as you mentioned at the very beginning of the this discussion, they both hosted, they co-hosted the 2002 FIFA World Cup. Mm. That said something about their economic development full stop. The fact that you can host a World Cup or host a mega event like the Olympic Games, there is a cutoff point of countries that can afford or cannot afford this, either economically or culturally. Like you mentioned, there is a a cultural buy-in that has to come for hosting a mega event. You could even talk about this in terms of the uh, 2020 Tokyo Olympics, is that, yes, Japan could afford to host the Olympics. However, by the time that COVID had taken its toll on the country, on the the isolationist policies that grips every, every country around the world, the Japanese population was... I believe there were surveys that were done that showed a strong negative public opinion about hosting the 2022 Tokyo Summer Olympics. So even though you can host something economically doesn't mean that culturally people Mm. desire this, especially if it comes at a certain time, um, specific global factors like like a global pandemic coming into play. You can also talk about this with Qatar 2022. Economically, they pumped billions of dollars into hosting this world cup i believe it was the most expensive world cup of all time and on the other hand culturally there was a desire to host in this region of the world it was seen as let's bring the world cup to the middle east let's say to to that area of asia because the first world cup hosted in the asian football confederation geographic region was in japan and south korea in 2002 um But still, there was this cultural appetite to host. So I would say it definitely speaks to economic development to be able to to host a World Cup, and Japan and South Korea have done that. There is a level of participation or economic development required for basic participation in the World Cup as well. You have to have the funds, the capacity to be able to put together an 11-player squad Mm. and like we see in the case of China, despite having the economic capacity and the population to do so, that just hasn't come to fruition. Mm. But when we look to Japan and South Korea, we do see that there is that progress. And particularly in the case of Japan, I would say since 2002, you've seen consistent progress happening um, in the national men's national team because they have consistently qualified. Mm. And before the 2002 FIFA World Cup, in Japan and South Korea, Japan had only qualified once on its own merit, mm. and then it automatically qualified when it hosted the tournament. So, meanwhile, South Korea had qualified many times before and has also consistently qualified. So, hosting the the tournament on its on its own has an economic um, is an economic indicator in some ways, but the fact that it also has resulted in consistent participation since the hosting of the two thousand two FIFA World Cup 
also shows some level of dedication to sports development in Japan and South Korea. You do, going back to the idea of an underdog, you do get countries that proceed quite far. They have quite good FIFA rankings despite having what you could say a comparatively lower level of economic development mm. in comparison to, to European counterparts, let's say. Um, and then their, their progress in sports is really representative of a cultural... What's the word I'm looking for? Just a cultural, a culturally based development of sports mm. versus more of an economically based development of sport. Mm. There's, there's some reason for this historically as well. Japan is, is famous for sports development for the purposes of military training. So it was also part of their economic and cultural development along with the, the strength of the nation state in Japan to develop their national sports apparatus and teams. So you do see that that trickle-down effect into football, but it is interesting that it, that football was was a later sport to receive this this impact. And the same thing in, in South Korea, these sports, uh, football, even though it's the most popular global sport, it was one of the last to make its developments. And it could speak to player population pool, it could speak to organic interest. You have to have enough players in a country who want to dedicate their lives from a very young age to fielding an 11-person pitch. So, 11-person squad. So that I hope I think that answers the the cultural and economic aspects and the balance that happens between those two uh, when it comes to sports development. You did well, Dr. Vandenberg. And now again, I know you're very busy. I want to wrap up our conversation by going back to an article. Towards the end of the article, you entitled "The Power of Possibility," and I want to read something that you wrote. And I quote. Fast forward to this year's World Cup, where both the Japanese and South Korean teams have not only qualified, but advanced to the round of 16 against the significant odds. Now, help us to understand, when you title this uh, uh, portion, it says the power of possibility, what kind of possibility that you are referring to? And what kind of power that should be implemented into this possibility? Help us to understand. I would say the, the power of possibility, what I mean by that is the the hope that comes with potential, mm. with, with the belief that something can happen or a certain development can lead to the manifestation of progress. Mm. So in the cases of Japan and South Korea, going back to, I guess, this tertiary or this, this three parts, a series of, of sports and, and how we interact with sports. You have participation in sports, you have hosting of sports events, and then you also have winning sports mm. competitions or events. And in that sense, the power of possibility is across those three areas. Um, I know we're talking about Japan and South Korea, but this is famously shown through, through China. They had a 100-year Olympic dream to participate in, host, and win the Olympic Games. That's right. And they have that same dream for the World Cup, and I would apply that same framework to Japan and South Korea and any any team that sees themselves as an underdog or someone who would like to join the conversation is, well, how do we participate? What Do we have a possibility to participate? And I think that in the case of Japan and South Korea for this World Cup, that was the, the power, the hope, not only of participation, but then leading to the idea that we, there could, we could win. This could actually happen. Um, and not just win 
the whole tournament, but even to be able to, to defeat the likes of Germany, Spain, Portugal, this, this is the power of a, of a dream. And I think that that is why people, why I heard so many people, I'm based in Switzerland, and I heard so many people rooting for Japan, specifically because of the dream of someone being able to move on. Even when I was watching the matches and the commentators are speaking, they're talking about this dream and the, the possibility for these teams and what it would mean. Mm. And that that's the power of possibilities, the power of significance. If, if you see, let's say, France raise the trophy again, for 2022 mm. is there significance absolutely but is it the same type of significance as if japan had gone through to the final and won right. i would say no of course so and you're shaking your head no as well i think that there's just a different a different sentiment to when a team that is unexpected a team that it's seen as the the crown glory that they they didn't think they'd be able to reach but that is now being bestowed upon them there's a sense of of gratitude, uh, a sense of this is how far we've come versus it being something that is just regularly uh, rec- a recognition of, of predetermined dominance. So that that would be the power of possibility. It's this idea that there's significance to being a part of the conversation of sports. And I think especially with football, again, if we talk about how East Asia or Asia has been separated from from the discussions of football because it's been a very Western discussion for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And you see East Asia, Southeast Asia now starting to be much more a part of that conversation. It is the power of connecting on a global level and hopefully on something that is that people hope is apolitical, that people hope is an open playing field, equal opportunity. So that is the power of possibility, the opportunity to engage with other people, have a common language, with a common set of rules and and being able to to beat others that that the ability to actually win and and be a part of the discussion well dr menenberg surely you and i agree with each other that for the year of 2022 world cup absolutely brought a lot of excitement to all of us and again not only that we celebrated how argentina was able to again um hold the trophy again but meanwhile we saw a lot of potentials as you mentioned before for the country of japan and south korea morocco i mean again today when we look at the sportsmanship when we look at the beauty of sports it's not just about the competition it's really about unification despite this political uh decoupling or this political uh disengagement across the region or across the world well ladies and gentlemen it's my great honor to speak to dr lane vandenberg and again dr vandenberg received her phd in political economy from the king's college london and university of hong kong joint phd program and i strongly encourage everyone to go online look for her amazing article which is entitled why we're watching japan and south korea at the world cup and we're hoping next time when we have another world cup again we'd love to have dr vandenberg join the show and again help us to understand not only about the underdogs but also about the beauty of international sportsmanship well dr vandenberg thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show and towards the end of the year we hope you have a great new year and we look forward to have you back on the show again for our future episodes yeah thank you so much well i'd be happy to join and happy 2023